down for my grandfather who took my mama, made us sit in that seat where white folks ain't want us to eat. At the tender age of six, he was arrested for the sit-ins. But that in my blood, I was born to be different. And niggas can't make it to battle. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of Hive Mind, a pop culture podcast. My name is Erin Geary, and I will be your host. I'm really excited to begin this journey today. Um, my goal for this podcast is basically to think critically about the pop culture we consume. So whether it be the stuff I grew up on or the stuff that's currently in the news, um, I want to take a look at it kind of from a a different angle or many different angles and see how that pop culture affects us more largely. How does it affect us as a people? My goal is never to kind of arrive at answers, but more so just to generate questions, right? Think about different avenues and paths of looking at, you know, these things that we all consume and love so much. I think that my first subject, um, the subject of today's podcast, is actually a great um, example of somebody we should do this with. Today I'm going to be talking about the one and only Mr. Kanye West, who is a polarizing figure, who is super complicated and also immensely talented and really like influential to my generation, I think. I think a lot of people my age have grown up on Kanye's music and have seen him evolve through a lot of different stages. Um, Some people are maybe more familiar with the different stages than others, Um, but I think it's kind of interesting to see that all coming to a head right now. So this past week, Kanye West announced that he will be running for the 2020 presidential election. Now it's super late in the game. and he's kind of, you know, trying to join last minute. There is some discourse around whether or not he's actually like earnest and serious when he's talking about running. Um, So that's also something to take into consideration. He says he's serious and sincere, but you know, we don't totally know what to believe yet because nothing's set in stone. Um, But a lot of people have been talking about Kanye and his politics recently. And it got me thinking about you know, Kanye's whole journey um, since he started his rap career in the early 2000s. I didn't grow up on hip hop. I didn't really start listening to any rap music at all until late high school. Um, And Kanye was actually one of the first rappers that caught my eye. And, um, you know, the first one of the first rappers that I really got into. Some of his albums are like my favorite albums of all time. And I think that he is a, a real genius musically. Um, And I wanted to kind of walk through what I have learned and thought about Kanye over the years. I've also done a ton of research on him leading up to this podcast and watched him talk in a variety of settings. And I think there's so much to be said about the way he's evolved and what that can teach us. I also think there's a lot to be said about the way the media portrays him, um, how we talk about him collectively, and you know, just the connection between celebrity and and politics in general and fame and politics. So I actually got into Kanye through a a maybe more untraditional route. I was really interested in poetry in high school. Slam poetry was really interesting to me at the time. And I spent like a ton of afternoons just um, listening to slam poets. So, you know, people that get up on stage and do spoken word, um, people who are reading their their poems out loud, bringing them to life. And I used to watch Def Jam poetry a lot. And one day I came across this YouTube video of a young Kanye West performing at a Def Jam event. And I was like, oh, Kanye West, that's weird. I mean, I know him from the song Heartless, which was like a popular poppy song when I was in middle school. Um, I know him from All the Lights featuring Rihanna. Uh, I know him from the Taylor Swift incident. Um, But my connections with Kanye were very minimal up until that point. So I click on this video and I'm blown away. He walks out with a real charisma and a real humor to him. He is silly and and hamming it up a little bit for the audience. And he delivers this amazing poem called Self-Conscious. I can't even go to the grocery store without some shoes that's clean and a shirt with a team. It seemed we live in the American dream, but the people highest up got the lowest self-esteem. The prettiest people do the ugliest things for the road to riches and diamond rings. We shine because they hate us, floss because they degrade us. We trying to buy back our 40 acres. And for that paper, look how low we astute. Even when I'm in my bins, I'm still a nigga in a coop. I promise. It's a poem about how he uses materialism and excess and 
stuff to cover up his insecurities and how a lot of people do that too. Um, and he talks about how his insecurities are like directly related to his position of being a black man in our American society. He's overcompensating so that he stands a chance. He thinks that the more he buys, the less he'll feel and the less he'll have to confront. I was blown away by this poem and also by Kanye's delivery of it because he comes up, he's kind of cocky and he's like, um, has this tongue in cheek, coy, uh, energy to him. He's cracking jokes. The poem has jokes in it. I was reading the comments and the comments are like, oh, this is where he got All Falls Down from, which led me to his track All Falls Down, which is to this day one of my favorite Kanye songs. Um, All Falls Down actually uses a lot of the same language as this poem that I'm referencing, so they're essentially the same thing. All Falls Down is part of Kanye's album The College Dropout, which was released in like 2002, I think. She's so self-conscious. She has no idea what she's doing in college. That major that she majored in don't make no money. But she won't drop out her parents to look at her funny. Now, tell me that ain't insecure. The concept of school seems so secure. Sophomore three years ain't picked a career. She like, fuck it, I'll just stay down her and do it. Cause that's enough money to buy her a few pairs of new ears. Cause her baby daddy don't really care. She's so precious with the it's an album that Kanye released right after he dropped out of his art school in Chicago. So he was going to school for visual art. He felt really disillusioned by like the higher education system. And he was realizing a lot of the ways that it was exclusionary um, and also the ways that it, it wasn't preparing him for the real world. Um, and he felt that he'd be better off learning and, and developing knowledge out in the real world. He didn't need college. Um, he felt that a degree was futile and he was working and working and working for years and years for something that, you know, wouldn't help him at the end of the day. Um, Kanye arrived at a lot of these insights because he had a near-death accident where he got in like a car crash and slammed his head against a steering wheel and, you know, he almost died. And he talks a lot in interviews and stuff about how during these final moments of his life, he was like, what am I doing? Like studying isn't going to save me in the end. Whether or not you have a degree doesn't matter when you're like about to die, when you're confronting death face to face. This album College Dropout is, in my opinion, immaculate, but it was also like controversial at the time. Kids gon' act a fool when you stop the programs for after school. And they DCFS, some of them dyslexic. They favorite 50 cents on 12 questions. We scream, watch blows, we par. See, now we smart. We ain't retards the way teachers start. Hold up, hold fast. We make more cash. Now tell my mama I belong in that slow class. Sad enough, we on welfare. You tryna put me on a school bus with the space for the wheelchair. I'm tryna get the car with the chrome. Me wheels here. You trying to cut our lights out like we don't live here. We have Kanye West on this record talking about the school to prison pipeline. We have Kanye West on this album talking about um, racial profiling. On All Falls Down, he's talking about mass incarceration and interactions with the police. Obviously, the album is peppered with his signature humor and charisma. Like, you know, there, there are some funny tracks like the new workout plan or... Um, slow jams that are much less serious and kind of just whatever, him having fun. Kanye West's uh, aesthetic and persona was also like totally opposite from what was popular in rap at the time. This is the era of gangster rap. It's the era of bling rap. Um, you know, we have drug dealing and violence as, as common motifs. And then here we got this kid come up and he's like an art kid and he's talking about... Um, working at like a retail store. And he's talking about his life with just as much passion and vigor as, you know, Jay is talking about selling drugs on the streets of Brooklyn. Speaking of Jay-Z, Jay-Z plays a major role in Kanye's come up. Kanye kind of pioneers this style of production called Chipmunk Soul, where he takes like old R&B tracks, loops them in the background of his songs and pitches them up so they sound like, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunksy. And it, Jay loves this and, and wants it for his own albums, like The Blueprint, The Blueprint 3. And this really kind of p 
puts Kanye on the map because Jay was a big name in hip hop and and Kanye needed that cosign. Kanye was already making headlines before he even won his first Grammy. He was notoriously kind of rowdy at award shows. He he would go off. He would kind of speak his mind. At the Grammy Awards where he was nominated a whole bunch of times for College Dropout, um, people were worried that he would make a big show of not winning because there were a lot of other popular people in the category. And he gives this wild speech when he wins. I know, I know every, I know everybody asked me the question. They wanted to know what kind, I knew he's gonna wild out and he's gonna do something crazy. Everybody wanted to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Kanye's music was really different from what was going on in the rap world at the time, but also his interview presence. He was really commonly talking about really radical um, kind of progressive topics in interviews, Um, some that were even taboo within the rap industry, um, which was known for being kind of more progressive and more radical. Kanye was raised by parents who were activists. And this ethic of challenging what is going on around you is really embedded in his early life. And then comes a really pivotal moment in Kanye's career, which is during a 2005 Hurricane Katrina telethon. He's supposed to make like a generic comment, um, but goes off script and he rambles a little bit. Um, And it's extremely passionate, but also kind of incoherent. George Bush doesn't care about black people. This moment solidified Kanye's place for a while as, you know, a progressive liberal activist. He became a bit of a hero for a little while and somebody that the black community really rallied behind. At the same time, early in his career, Kanye was also developing his voice as like a religious figure. He has a song in College Dropout called Jesus Walks, which is essentially about, you know, his passion for God and his his desire to reconnect with God. And in the song, he wonders why the radio won't play songs about God. Why can't people in the club be dancing to songs about God? He has this frustration about God not being central in everybody's lives. Jesus Walks is a phenomenal song. It's like a masterpiece. It's quick-witted. It is bombastic. It's huge. Like, it sounds huge. It sounds like it's meant to be played in a stadium. And he gives this kick-ass performance of it at the Grammys um, where he's so high energy and there's just, like, there's a choir behind him and it's it's extremely religious. Um, But there it is, center stage at the Grammys, and it feels subversive. Kanye has always loved being subversive. He always wants to do the opposite of what you're supposed to do in a given space, and he feels a lot of freedom when he does that. After College Dropout, Kanye releases two more albums that continue this theme about education. We have Um, late registration, and then we have graduation. And by the time he releases graduation, Kanye is massively famous. All the albums in the trilogy are being hailed as like, you know, the best album of the year by Rolling Stone or Billboard or whatever. Um, He's picking up tons and tons of Grammy Awards, VMAs. He's on the red carpets, he's making a ton of money, and he's getting super famous. Then in 2009, 2010, things go a little haywire. Kanye's mom, who he was extremely, extremely close to, Donda West, passes away. She dies of complications from plastic surgery. And Kanye blames himself for her death. We don't know a lot about why this is because he is very vague about it and doesn't like speaking about it. Um, Actually, bringing up his mother in general makes him really upset. But we can tell he feels a lot of guilt around the death. Kanye grew up with Donda 
she was, you know, the main person in his life through his whole childhood. She was his manager in his early career, and she meant the world to him. Then I started to cry as we knelt on the kitchen floor. I said, Mommy, I'm going to love you till you don't hurt no more. When I'm older, you ain't got to work no more. And I'm going to get you that mansion that we couldn't afford. See, you're unbreakable, unmistakable, highly capable. Lady that's making loot, living legend too. Look at what heaven do. Send us an angel. Thank you, Mama. I want to scream so loud for you. He puts out this album called 808s and Heartbreak, which sounds super, super different from what he had previously been putting out. I don't know. I guess you've been through a lot of stuff, and I feel, uh, you know... Like I'm about to die any moment. I'm worried about like you. I am. I'm <laughs> be honest. Like, I, I just keep reading things about, you know... Uh, I don't know. You're stayed and you're depressed and you're. I keep reading things. I'm a little concerned about you. And then there's this drastic change in your music. Are you? Yeah. Are you okay? Like, are you okay? They're like, like, are you okay? Yeah. No. Well, you know, with the music, I feel like what's so crazy is people don't understand is that the music is still like really good. Like, but I it's might, way I'm, different. Yeah, it's different, but it's like and the, it's the music for my dreams and stuff, though. It's a. Yeah. I will say, I don't know if you intended to do it, but you just made listening to it. It's a little, um, it's like a little dark. You don't think so? Yeah, I think it's dark. I'll, but it's the type of it's music. It's not rap even on the same planet as Jay-Z and 50 Cent and Lil Wayne. It's like electronic-ish. Um, he uses auto-tune and he's one of the first to kind of pioneer that wave. It's also extremely dark. It has kind of a somber quality to it. Even in the earlier songs, when he was angry about something, the songs did have a calming, kind of positive feel to them. On 808s, things are, are depressing. He has another big turning point in his career at the 2010 VMAs. Um, and this is kind of a, a moment that, you know, I feel like we're all sick of talking about at this point. It's been talked about so much in the last 10 years. Probably like one of the most talked about award show moments ever. And this is when a young Taylor Swift goes up to accept a VMA um, for her song, You Belong With Me, I believe. And Kanye West, who was in the audience and who was drunk, gets on stage and interrupts her during her acceptance speech and claims that Beyonce should have won the award for her video for Single Ladies, which he claims was the best video of all time. Now, something you should know about me is that Beyonce's everything to me. <laughs> and I totally agree with Kanye here. Single Ladies was a, an awesome video. It's funny because looking back at Single Ladies now, it kind of seems like meh in comparison to self-titled and Lemonade and all of these amazing projects Beyonce's put out since. But at the time, Single Ladies was everywhere. It was a huge song. Visually, it was recognizable by everybody. Single Ladies was what made Beyonce a superstar um, rather than just like an R&B star. Like she became a total household name. Everybody knew what Beyonce was all about. You know, the iconography in this video was super influential. But at the same time, we have Taylor Swift who grew up to be a hugely important pop star um, this was just like the very first taste of Taylor Swift. She had so many massive moments after this. Um, and she was also just a young girl, right? Um, and we do have, we have Kanye coming up on stage and kind of rudely interrupting her. America at the time didn't love this notion of a grown man coming up and interrupting a young, innocent, sweet, new voice on the block. Kanye's reasoning for it is interesting. In some interviews, he talks about being drunk and regretting it. Uh, and in others, he speaks really passionately about how he doesn't regret it, how the Grammys and the VMAs and all of these music institutions always kind of prioritize white artists and skip over and, and gloss over the incredibly influential work of black artists. He was saying these critiques at a time that nobody else was saying them, but you know, now in 2020, these critiques have been said by a lot of other people. Frank Ocean refuses to perform at the Grammys. Nicki Minaj has been really mad at a lot of these award shows over the years um, because she feels like she gets snubbed all the time. I think Rihanna doesn't go anymore. And then there was also that moment where I want to say it's in like 2015 or 2016, Adele wins album of the year over Lemonade and Adele breaks the trophy in half and gives a part of it to Beyonce and says that she wishes Beyonce had won it instead. So, you know, these critiques are 
they're commonplace now. And he makes points that are valid. Um, at the same time, it was rude to Taylor. And I think that both both perspectives can be true at once. I think that at the time, in 2010, we were much more used to our celebrities being polite. And now in 2020, we want our celebrities to speak out. We want our celebrities to make their politics known. We want our celebrities to have voices and be brave. Obviously, there there is so much more to this incident, especially on the Taylor Swift side. If you want to hear a little bit of that, you can watch her Netflix documentary, Miss Americana, which I thought was really good. She gives kind of her perspective of the situation and then how it kind of dragged out for years and years. I don't want to talk too much more about it, but I do want to kind of use it as a catalyst for what a lot of people call the new Kanye, right? Um, and, and Kanye himself has kind of poked fun at this binary that people have created for him. Like he, he changed at one point, he became something else. After the Taylor Swift incident, Kanye West is, is totally vilified. He took some time where he kind of disappeared from the spotlight and he, he got out of the public eye, he got away from paparazzi, he went overseas, he stayed in like random countries and kind of hunkered down for a little bit. And then he reemerged. One of the most interesting things that happened around this time is Kanye West has an interview with Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer is showing Kanye this video of former President George Bush talking about the worst moments of his presidency. Um, and George Bush mentions the Kanye call out about Hurricane Katrina and says it was something that really bothered him. Matt Lauer tries to get Kanye to like apologize and Kanye does, he goes, he, he gives his apology. Matt Lauer is trying to get him to say something he doesn't necessarily mean. He's apologizing for like painting broad strokes or by using language that the media will latch onto. He's not apologizing for thinking critically about how Hurricane Katrina was dealt with by the Bush administration. You see a change in his persona during this interview because he is contemplating what he's saying so carefully. He's walking on eggshells and he's like, he's, he's picking every word as if it will get misconstrued. And you see, you see that kind of flashing before him as he's deciding what to say. He gets aggravated with Matt Lauer because Matt Lauer won't let him kind of think and work through his thoughts. He gets aggravated because Matt Lauer keeps playing clips in the background while he's talking. He, and he calls it out and he gets angry and he has a real edge to him at this point. Racist. Just play the tape. Don't even listen this time. I want you to just look at his face right. when he is commenting about you and just look at him. I mean, this is the most emotional he got during my entire three and a half hour interview with him. What would you say to him if he would meet with you face to face? And I'm not sure he would, but if he would. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't need you guys to show me the, um, the, the tape in order to, like, prompt my emotion to what I'm going to say. You know? No, I'm, I'm, just, like, I'm just asking mm -hmm. you, when you look at his face, what would you say to him? I mean, pre-looking at his face, I came up here because I wanted to say something to him right after the fact. You know, I would, I would say, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't even have to do the TV stuff with, with me. This is the reality. This is, this is the real thing going on. This is, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I don't need all the jazz. Um, I would say to, can we be quiet for a second? Um, I would tell George Bush um, in my moment of frustration that I didn't have the grounds to call him a racist. And you, you're sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry for... Mm. I think I get the point. I want to I give it the, the exact perfect wording because everything that I say gets taken and drawn into headlines and... I I'm think bo both the way he talks about the Bush incident and the Taylor Swift incident are very similar. Um, People are trying to get him to apologize so bad. The world wants him to apologize. And he doesn't necessarily feel sorry. This got me thinking about celebrity apologies, which have become so commonplace in our like internet landscape, right? Not a day goes by where we don't log on to Twitter and see a celebrity posting a screenshot from their notes app where they're sorry for something they did 
years ago, 20 years ago. Even sillier is when celebrities are posting a notes app apology for something they did like yesterday. Like you didn't change between yesterday and today. We want our celebrities all to be perfect and we want them to always know what to say, but celebrities are people and people aren't perfect and people don't always know what to say. I don't think we can just let celebrities do whatever they want and say whatever they want without criticism. Expecting apologies is sometimes kind of just dumb, right? Um, especially when the celebrity clearly doesn't feel sorry for what they said. And in this case, Kanye's comments about the way George Bush dealt with Hurricane Katrina and his comments about Taylor Swift winning that award over Beyonce would both probably be lauded now by most people. They are maybe more mainstream opinions now than they were back then. Shortly after all this goes down and Kanye reemerges into the public eye, he puts out arguably his best album of all time, and that is the 2010 record My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which once again is a really dark album, but it's also so cinematic. Um, there's this video for a song called Runaway, which is like 25 minutes long and is essentially an art film. He performs Runaway at the VMAs and it's just as beautiful visually. Um, and this is where we start getting a hint of Kanye as a visual artist. Um, we know that he comes from this background. He studied it in college for the few, little short time he was there. Um, but we, we kind of see him evolve into a, a larger persona than just a music artist, right? He's, he's something larger than life now. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is an album that deals a lot with ego and a lot with fame. He looks in the mirror and he thinks he's great and he realizes that his ego is becoming a bit of a vice. It's getting him into situations that, you know, uh, it's putting him in situations where people don't like him and people don't want to hear him be so confident and so brash. People want to see him kind of reconcile with the fact that he's not all that and he fucks up sometimes. He is who he is and he has a huge ego, but he realizes his ego is this burden he has to carry and it's not making him become a better person. We see Kanye start to suffer and squirm a little bit under the oppressive limelight of fame. It's like an addiction to him. He hates being famous. He hates that he can't just say what he wants to say and work through ideas and feelings on his own without people up in his business. But at the same time, He's getting money, he's getting girls, he's getting respect. And we know from comparing My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy to an earlier album like College Dropout that Kanye has always wanted respect and never felt like he got it growing up. Kanye has become what he has always aspired to be. He suddenly has the privileges of whiteness while still being a black man. He has wealth, he has land, he has influence, he has power. He's also hinting at the fact that it's not all it's cracked up to be, though. Along with ego being a vice, we see that materialism is becoming more and more of a vice. Kanye starts becoming obsessed with fashion, um, with, with luxury brands, with labels. Um, not only does he want to wear them and be associated with them, but he wants to be in the room where these fashion brands are being made. We see his interest in this world kind of start to take root. Sex also becomes a bit of a vice here. We see Kanye's music become much more sexual, much more aggressive in that way. In the earlier albums, especially the college trilogy, um, sex is portrayed as youthful and fun, um, humorous. Between the years of 2010 and 2015, Kanye becomes very known for going on these big rants. He goes on like The Breakfast Club or you know whatever, like Hot 97 radio shows and stuff. He victimizes himself quite a bit, but then at the same time has this massive ego, right? So he feels that the world has wronged him. He feels that nobody is on his side. We hear him talk about God a lot less at this time. Um, he loses touch a little bit from his spirituality and his religion. This is around the time that Kanye starts designing sneakers for Adidas. He creates Yeezys, which becomes like a giant brand. It has kind of like a cult following for a little bit um, and becomes really like popular in like the sneakerhead world. Kids are camping out to buy these shoes. They're like really exclusive. He has all these exclusive drops where there's only a certain amount of them and people buy then resell at really high prices. 
they become a really hot commodity and Yeezy then kind of takes off as its own thing, right? He starts making clothes. He starts having these fashion shows um, that are almost like concerts. Like there's a lot going on at them. And he evolves during this period from a musician to a businessman. At this point, nonstop, Kanye is talking about wanting to be the next Steve Jobs, wanting to be the next Walt Disney. People at this point start to feel a disconnect with Kanye. He suddenly is in the class that he once critiqued. And to top it all off, it's during these few years that Kanye marries Kim Kardashian. Kim, at the time, was not very well liked. People critiqued the Kardashians nonstop. It was very like, you know, it was very like in at the time to hate on the Kardashians, um, to say they were, you know, stupid and they are famous for no reason and they're not talented. People found their voices annoying. You know, I think at, at this point in 2020, we have evolved to higher forms of critique for the Kardashians. We talk about how they have built a lot of their business empire off of cultural appropriation. I think that a lot of the 2013 era critique of the Kardashians, especially Kim, was very misogynistic. A lot of people had a bone to pick with the way that Kim was overtly sexual. The starting point of her career was undoubtedly when a sex tape came out with her and rapper Ray J, which I believe was leaked without her consent and then she just kind of ran with it. She was known for showing off her body um, and talking about sex a lot and this was just kind of like part of her brand. People seem to be frustrated that Kanye married someone who was white, especially someone who was pegged to be so out of touch with the struggles of the black community. It kind of seemed like Kanye's marriage to Kim was the ultimate betrayal of his former values. It put him in the hot seat a little bit, but Kanye was also massively in love with Kim and a lot of fans also kind of took to their love story. Some people looked to them as a power couple. Um, they were both so famous and they're both so influential. So they, they did kind of have a following together. It's here that I want to pause for a minute and share something before we get into the Kanye that we're working with right now. Um, and that is a poem called Footnotes for Kanye by one of my favorite poets, Jasmine Manns. Jasmine is well known in the slam poetry community, which like I said earlier, is where Kanye got his start as a rapper. She delivers a really sensitive, critique of Kanye. I really have always loved this poem because it shows how important Kanye was to black America and how they felt like they were losing him. They were losing a part of themselves, one of their own. Because the more wealth Kanye accumulated, the more distance was created between him and everybody else. People started feeling like they were at the bottom and he had joined a new class. There's this lack of understanding about what the people need. They want music that inspires and lifts them up, but he's making t-shirts that are hundreds of dollars. Um, and I think that Jasmine Mans does a really beautiful job critiquing some of this in her poem. Something I love about it is that she uses Kanye's language from his early albums against him. She flips it and kind of throws back in his face what he had once said. Maybe Jesus was all talk. Jesus never needed Adidas to walk. Why is he outlining sneakers when the South Side is outlined in chalk? Can someone go and find the man who could make a diamond with his own bare hands? We are looking for you because these kids still want to be just like you. They want to rap and make soul beats just like you, even though you just not you even though you traded in your spaceship to buy back your 40 acres in a mule, even though you traded in your spaceship to buy back your 40 acres in a mule, purchased the plantation and master's daughters too. Nigga, why you got these white folks claiming you? Like they built you, like they made you, like they polished you, like they ready them a good nigga for the picking, like they got you for sale. Oh, how they love Kanye. Let's put them all in front of the store. Like you there, black boy. You forgot you, black boy. They got you lost in this world. You getting blackmailed for that white girl. You don't see how your lies is affecting me. You don't see how our lives are supposed to be. 
I show this poem to people like every time Kanye's in the news, anytime something comes up with him. I feel like it gets at a lot of the questions that I want to unpack on this episode. During this time period that Kanye marries Kim and launches Yeezy, he releases an album called Yeezus. This is the time period where Kanye starts to compare himself to a god. He sees himself as like a new age spiritual leader. This is also around the time period where Kanye starts explicitly talking about futurism. Um, and this has always been kind of an idea in his music, even dating back to the song Spaceship on his very first record. Spaceships are often used as a symbol for Afrofuturism. This idea that black people can start from scratch and build their own world, that they don't need to abide by the rules of the current world because those rules are put in place to oppress them. He takes this idea that was coined and used by so many black academics and scholars and activists over the years, and he applies it to many different realms of his life. He starts to become a futurist in all senses of the word, and because he believes that he is godlike, he starts thinking he has kind of like um, an intuition or a sense for how things will pan out. We see him at this point talking a lot in interviews about like being able to predict the future or being like a bellwether of sorts. In 2015, he's like, no, the stuff I'm saying now will be normal in 10 years. You just think it's crazy now. He starts to get frustrated that people can't see his vision um, because to him it's crystal clear and it's what would make the world better, but it seems to be a little incoherent to everybody else. It seems to be a little disjointed and it seems to really privilege wealthy people. Then in 2016, Kanye goes on stage at the VMAs. He's there to present um, a music video for his new song, Famous, which is this really, uh, polarizing controversial music video where it shows a whole bunch of like wax figurines of famous people lying in bed together and they're all famous people that have played some kind of role in Kanye's life that have caused him some type of controversy so you know it's Taylor Swift and it's George Bush and it's the Kardashians. He gives a large speech where he kind of dances around his point. He says a lot of poignant lines, but it's uncertain what his thesis is. And then he kind of drops this bomb at the end where he says that in 2020, he's going to run for president. I remember this day so distinctly on Twitter. Like I remember people being not sure what to make of it. Um, some people were like, wow, Kanye, he's always doing crazy shit. Like I can always count on Kanye to make the VMAs interesting again. And it was such a quintessential VMA moment, right? Um, the VMAs are all about people doing something wild and like you know, being the talk of the internet. So it worked really well as like a, a celebrity move. And this was right before the big 2016 election. And it was interesting to kind of imagine another alternative besides Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. It allowed people to kind of take a break from reality and mess around a little bit. And I think a lot of people saw it as a joke. At the time I was like, damn, I wonder if he's serious because for years Kanye had been talking about he could do whatever he sets his mind to. If there's something he wants, he'll go and get it. He won't let anything stop him. And he had proven that to be true up until this point. So I was like, wow, I wonder if he'll really run. And what would that mean? What would that look like? And for a little bit, I was like, hmm, this could be interesting, right? Kanye has really progressive politics from what I know. He's not afraid to talk about systemic racism. He actually has been talking about it for a lot longer than it's been cool to talk about. I really wondered what it would be like to have a president who broke the traditional rules of presidency. And this is obviously, like I said, before Donald Trump. So we hadn't seen a president who was mouthy and imperfect. And we hadn't seen a president who didn't have a political career prior to his election. In that same year, Kanye begins to really, really have a hard time with his mental health. When we talk about Kanye, it would be absolutely remiss to not mention that he has bipolar disorder. There's this moment at a concert in 2016 where he goes on a big rant on stage about three songs in. He's talking in a way that makes it evident that he has become familiar with like conspiracy theories about 
the government and the Illuminati. I find it to be kind of an upsetting video. It was shared rapidly on social media. It was all over the news. People were laughing at it. And he seems really scared in this video. Get ready to have a field day, press. Get ready. Get ready. Because the show's over. After this rant, it is in the news that Kanye had been hospitalized. And then there's a two-year period where he's not in the public eye again. He's once again receded. And I feel like he does this every time that the world turns against him a little bit. Every time he feels dehumanized. Kanye returns in 2018, and he gives a couple long-form interviews. It's clear that he sees maybe a connection between his mental illness and his creativity. Um, his mental illness and his celebrity, and he's not sure how to take care of one without destroying the other. He mentions that he has had bipolar episodes since he was five years old, but he's like grateful that his parents didn't medicate him back then because he wouldn't be the Kanye West he is today. He talks about this idea of black perfection. He talks about how he feels like black people aren't allowed to mess up. He talks about how if one black person does something wrong or does something harmful, then they become kind of a symbol of their race. Like they have to work twice as hard to be seen as worthy of respect. So he's giving all of these interviews where he's talking openly about his mental illness, where he's pushing back against the stigma to not talk about it. In typical Kanye fashion, he's saying, you're telling me to be quiet about this? No, I'm gonna go on Jimmy Kimmel and I'm gonna talk about it a whole lot. Then he puts out this album called Ye, which is just undeniably rushed and not up to the quality that he had delivered in the past. Um, it doesn't get that much acclaim and it kind of, it does nothing for his career, it kind of flops. Then he makes this appearance on SNL where he sports a Donald Trump Make America Great Again hat and he wholeheartedly backs the President of the United States. It's a really confusing moment for Kanye fans because so much of the narrative of Donald Trump has gone against what we believed the narrative of Kanye West was. Black America had strongly voted against Donald Trump in the 2016 election, and Kanye was such a symbol, such an icon to Black America, that it was confusing to them why he was suddenly throwing his support behind a candidate who they believed didn't have their best interest at heart. It felt out of character. Kanye doubles down. He becomes an adamant voice in support of Donald Trump. This culminates with like a weekend flurry of media attention. Um, he goes and meets with Donald Trump in the Oval Office. He goes on TMZ and he talks to the guys there about how he believes that slavery was a choice. This explodes into a huge argument within the TMZ offices where you know, the people that work there are extremely angry and offended by what Kanye said. What he's saying is so idealistic that it's removed from reality. It discredits the actual lived experiences of black people in America. People suffer from intergenerational trauma. So much of the way our world is set up is because of slavery, because our country was founded upon it. And Kanye is saying a lot that undermines and denies its lasting impacts and effects. There was a wonderful article written in The Atlantic in 2018 by author Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's called I'm Not Black, I'm Kanye, and I really recommend it. He felt like his role model from childhood was now somebody else entirely. Like his role model was not there for him anymore. At the same time, Kanye was tentatively embraced by Republicans and conservatives. He seemed to strike up a relationship with Candace Owens, who is known for being like a black Republican, a black Donald Trump fan. Candace Owens and Kanye were both talking a lot about free thinking. During this period, he claimed several times that he has become a Republican because nobody expects him to be. He has become a Republican because people say black men shouldn't be Republicans. This got me thinking, if a person is thinking so outside of the box that they circle around and join the box again, are they really a free thinker or are they just interested in subversion for the sake of chaos? Is what's happening with Kanye now any different from when he went on stage with a backpack and a polo in 2001 when all the other rappers were wearing chains and baggy pants? Is it any different from when people were getting mad at Kanye for acting out at award shows and he got up on stage and interrupted a brand new artist 
Kanye has always loved chaos. He's been drawn to it like a moth to a flame. Is he claiming to love Donald Trump because he wants to see if he can? The problem with a lot of these questions is that they bend back to his mental health. When we see critiques about Kanye these days, a lot of times people are like, oh, Kanye, he's fucking crazy. And that doesn't sit right with me. It's 2020 and a lot of us who have difficulty with Kanye are also fighting to destigmatize mental illness. We're trying to normalize the fact that people have different brains and different needs and act in different ways. So why are we using language that is harmful to mentally ill people in order to critique Kanye? Is it helpful to him? Is it helpful in any sense? Calling Kanye crazy gives us permission to look away. It lets us pretend that what he's doing and what he's saying doesn't mean anything. It's nonsense. But if we truly care about our country and its people, all of its people, we need to make sure that we're taking everybody seriously. Following the TMZ drama in 2018, Kanye once again kind of receded from the public eye. He started buying a lot of land in Ohio and Wyoming, big, giant, vast spaces that he claimed for his own. He started getting increasingly religious again, even putting out a gospel album called Jesus is King in 2019. services in the desert. Kanye's interest in religion is nothing new. It's something that he seems to turn to every time he's feeling a little bit lost or every time he's entering a new phase in his life. Kanye's 45 now. He's not as relevant as he once was. I'm a teacher. My teen students aren't talking about Kanye West. They're talking about Juice World and Pop Smoke and, you know, Charlie D'Amelio. Like, <laughs> they don't care about, about Kanye West and Kim. He's not a god to them. He doesn't have influence over them. Kanye is reckoning with his new role. What can give him influence now? This arises a question in me of like, why do humans need influence? Why do humans want power so badly? Throughout history in all different fields, we see that someone having too much power is not good for the ego. Confidence is great, it's wonderful, it's empowering. Self-importance can make you lose touch with the collective, with the community. I was asking myself, does celebrity cause ego or does ego cause celebrity, right? Was it Kanye? Is this who Kanye is? And is the reason he became so famous because he thinks so highly of himself? Or was that brought on by fame, by get, being given too much attention? The thing about Kanye is that he is simultaneously a really captivating speaker and a really poor one. He has a lot of trouble articulating exactly what he means. He stumbles on his words a bit, speaks in a roundabout way. He says the wrong thing and then seems to grimace and take it back and try again. But he speaks from the heart. He speaks in a way that is so much more sincere than other public figures. Are we vilifying him for not being able to get his words out right? Or is he using that as a crutch to exempt himself from criticism? On July 8th, 2020, the day that I'm recording this podcast, this huge interview comes out with Kanye where he is kind of running through his, his early policies and plans for being president. There's an extreme religious component. He thinks that the separation of church and state should be kind of dissolved and, and church should run into all of our other institutions and structures. He is extremely pro-life and anti-choice. Going even further, he thinks that Planned Parenthoods are planted in black communities by white people. On several occasions, he refers to these conspiracy theories that had come up a few years earlier in his rant before his initial hospitalization. Some people feel angry with Kanye because they believe he's splitting the vote. If he runs independently, he's pulling votes away from Biden and Trump will win. 
It's frustrating because Kanye clearly wants to see an alternative to the two-party political system. He's advocated for this for quite a while. It is kind of in line with his futurist ethic of kind of breaking down the structures that are currently existing and rebuilding. But who does idealism harm? Who's left in the dust? There are practical implications of a Trump presidency. We see their effects in our day-to-day life right now, ever since 2016. He claims now that he is not a fan of Donald Trump anymore. It just kind of seems to me like his spaceship is taking off and leaving people in the dust behind him. But how do we account for people who we think are regressing politically while also encouraging people to grow politically? If we want everybody to be accepting and fight for justice and equity, we have to allow them to grow to get there. We have to allow them to change change and leave behind their former opinions. But if we let people move in one direction, do we also have to let them move in the other? And what's the role of a president anyway in a country at the moment so reliant on collective care, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I think when we step into that voting booth in November, we have to vote in a way that puts the collective's best interest first. We have to make sure the people are taken care of. Poor people and black people and brown people and queer people, immigrants, trans people. Yes, it's important not to be too pragmatic, right? We want to be constantly imagining ways that we could not just reform, but abolish and rebuild kind of the structures that are existing in our society. I do think Kanye is interested in some of that, but he has not thought it through. He's not done the work and the research. So we need to do the work and the research, and we need to vote in a way that will protect our fellow people. The reason I chose Kanye as the very first subject of my podcast is because I think he is complicated. I think a lot of people feel ambiguously about him, and I think we're not used to feeling ambiguously. We want to separate people into good guys and bad guys all the time. And Kanye is a real genius that does some shitty things. I often think about, are there really two sides to arguments, or are there just two centers, depending on who's looking? When I think about Kanye, I think about that. He has paved the way for some of the stuff that that other rappers are saying now. He was saying that stuff in 2001, 2002. We can't blindly follow somebody. We can't rely on somebody to remain consistent. We can't rely on one person to embody all good ideas. If we stop looking at people as either heroes or villains, it frees up this whole middle ground where we can really wrestle with the ethics of people. And Kanye's ethics need to be wrestled with. Thank you so much for hanging with me today. I'm gonna play us out with one of my favorite Kanye West songs. Talk soon. I'm the king of Liana Lewis, Beyonce Truest. Hey, teacher, teacher, tell me how do you respond to students and refresh the page and restart the memory, respark the soul and rebuild the energy. We stop the ignorance, we kill the enemy. Sorry for the night, demons are still visit me. The plan was to drink it to the pain over, but what's worse, the pain or the hangover? Fresh air. Rolling down a window Too many Urkels on your team That's why your wind's low Don't make me pull the toys out huh? Don't make me pull the toys And fire up the engines huh? And then they